Welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Bikes and Big Ideas is presented by CBG Trails. The CBG Trails app is the only complete trail map app of Crested Butte and the Gunnison Valley, Colorado. So download the app today and start exploring. These days, a lot of brands, and especially a lot of outdoor brands, like to talk about sustainability. But what concrete steps are companies actually taking to measure, reduce, and offset their carbon emissions? And furthermore, what can be done to hold companies more accountable? Climate Neutral is a nonprofit that enlists brands to reduce and pay for their emissions and to help consumers identify which companies are taking real action. So we talked to Climate Neutral CEO Austin Whitman about how Climate Neutral got started, his rather impressive background, the problem of greenwashing, the lower-than-you'd-think costs of reducing carbon emissions, the legitimacy of carbon offsets, and what individuals and individual companies can be doing right now. Finally, you should be sure to check out Climate Neutral's current Kickstarter campaign that Austin and I talk about. You can find links to that in the show notes to this episode. And with that, let's get to my conversation with Austin Whitman. Well, Austin, how are you today and where are you today? Well, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. And I am in Boston, just outside of Boston. And is this home for you? Is this where headquarters are? What's the what's the setup here? Uh, they are one and the same. So <laughs> Climate Neutral is a small organization and I work out of my home for now. It's extremely cheap real estate in that respect and uh -huh. um, means that I get to live and, and travel from a large city, um, but not actually pay large city office rent prices. Let's get into this. Um, in a sentence, if you can do this in a sentence, what is climate neutral trying to do or what problem is climate neutral trying to solve? So climate neutral is taking on the largest global environmental challenge, which is climate change, by enlisting companies to figure out what their what their carbon footprint is and carbon footprint is what determines their impact on climate change and giving them a simple path to do something about it and then producing a label that the companies can use to show consumers that they are taking meaningful steps to address their carbon footprint so this is what we're going to be getting into um the details of this uh how this all works, what the program looks like, et cetera. Um, but let's back up for a second and kind of talk about the origin story. How and when did Climate Neutral get started? Yeah, great question. And um, I 
will be able to give my perspective. Uh, I'm the CEO of the organization, but the initial impetus for Climate Neutral came out of really the experience of our two founding brands. One of them is called Peak Design, which some of your listeners might be aware of. Um, they're the largest Kickstarter-funded company in the world. Uh, they make a whole range of products for carrying uh, camera equipment and, and other stuff. Um, and then there's another company called BioLite, which is a company that makes sustainable energy equipment such as um, you know portable solar panels and, and batteries and um, cook stoves and so forth. Anyhow, both those companies are companies uh, like a like like a bicycle company that, that that makes physical products and they each had spent some time thinking about the f extent of their global environmental footprint, just all the emissions, the carbon emissions, which cause climate change, um, that, that are produced as a result of them going out and, and making the stuff that they make and then shipping it around the world. And the, the eye-opening experience that, uh, the CEOs of both those companies had was basically that it is not that hard to do something about your carbon footprint, but that very few people are actually doing something. So very few companies actually take steps to address their their carbon footprint, which is extremely strange at a time when the urgency of cl the climate problem has never been better understood. And it's at a time when we're just seeing um, really devastating effects from climate change from coast to coast in the U.S. and then around the world, um, they're having a, climate change is having an effect on on ecosystems for um, for for animals. It's having an effect on cities and towns where people live. It's having an effect on the global economy because the resources the companies depend on to to make what they make and sell what they sell um, are being affected. So it's it's a, it's a massive and pervasive global environmental challenge. And the reality is there's not a whole lot the companies are doing, and that's mostly because governments are not forcing them to do anything about it. <laughs> so uh, ultimately, what to, to kind of bring it back to the origin story, what um, the folks at, at Peak Design and BioLite decided was we can make this simpler, and we can make this easier, and we can help people understand that it's cheaper than they expected. <laughs> Um, if we set up an organization that can provide a roadmap for companies to obtain carbon neutrality across the footprint of their brand and then create a label that allows consumers to evaluate uh, which companies are, are actually doing this. When did you get involved with Climate Neutral? You said you're the, 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 the CEO. Um, when did you get involved? So just about a year ago, would have been October, November of 2018, I was working at a clean tech software company and started chatting with a friend of a friend who's, uh, whose name is Peter Daring, is CEO of Peak Design. And um, the conversation that we had was essentially, you know, about his experience in Understanding his own company's carbon footprint, Peak Design's carbon footprint, and then offsetting 
the entirety of the footprint. And and some of his ideas really resonated with me because I had worked in carbon the carbon markets about 15 years ago. And there was a kind of a first global effort to get climate policy passed um, in various governments around the world. And I was um, involved in in some carbon offsetting projects and worked in a few different jobs in carbon finance at that time. And um, and when I chatted with Peter about his experience, a lot of the the things that I kind of had learned back then came back to mind. And um, it got me excited and interested in the idea of starting up this organization that um, that would help companies down the path of, of obtaining carbon neutrality. So we, at that point, the idea was, I would say, you know, pretty much at the cocktail napkin stage. Um, the organization didn't have a name, didn't necessarily have a mission, um, didn't have any of the details figured out other than, hey, this is a cool, a cool idea for um, a couple of passionate companies to help bring out into the world. And, uh, and so from there, we spent a few months putting pen to paper, uh, the graphic designers at peak design, um, started sketching out some logo ideas for the consumer facing label. And then I started full time in early March. Let's go way back. I mean, where did you grow up? What were you into as a kid school, that kind of stuff. And then we'll get into some of your, this, the work in clean technology that, you know, preceded your, your time with climate neutral. Yeah. Well, well, take, to take it way back, I grew up in, um, the great state of great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, um, <laughs> outside, outside, uh, Philadelphia. And, uh, I spent a lot of time outside as a kid. And so my personal journey toward building kind of environmentalism into my career, um, I would say arguably started when I was, uh, you know, very, very young and my weekends were all about going outside, playing around in the woods. And as I got older, um, I was, uh, into mountain biking in the Wissahickon park outside of Philadelphia and did a bunch of rock climbing, backpacking, you know, all those kinds of things. When I was, when I was young, I worked, um, worked at a canoeing camp up in, uh, the great North woods of Maine. And, um, and I did a bunch of, uh, fishing and, and, and all kinds of things. So I, um, really just, you know, grew up with a love of the outdoors and, it's has stuck with me, and it took me a couple of years after graduating from college to figure out how to um, kind of internalize that within the work um, that I was doing as a as an aspiring professional. But um, but back in um, let's see, two thousand three, two thousand four, um, I decided to go back to grad school and study environmental finance and and, and strategy and policy. And uh, and have been working in environmental markets and carbon markets pretty much ever since then. Okay, environmental finance. Say more. Yeah, I mean, how do you pay for um, environmental quality? So so every every time you kind of do something that's going to help help the environment, whether it's installing a wind turbine or um, funding a project to reduce carbon dioxide emissions, it takes money. 
And environmental finance, I guess, would be the general term for the field of thinking about how money flows into projects that produce environmental benefits. I didn't know you could go to school and study this. It's an interesting combination of environmental studies and finance, right? And so um, there are a number of schools that actually will teach, obviously, finance, and then they teach environmental studies, and they have courses and programs that kind of span the two disciplines. And hmm. um, people can think about how money, yeah, how money goes into environmental things. And of course, it's, you know, it's, it's part of a broader, um, you know, broader study of, of business and finance, but mm -hmm. you got to kind of understand all the principles uh, in order to then specialize in the ones that are the ones that matter to you. Yeah. Where did you do your grad work? Uh, Yale in, in Connecticut. Yep. So how many programs out there have this kind of either specialization or emphasis or niche of, you know, these environmental financing programs? There's Yale and is there a bunch or kind of a handful? I will say that I don't actually know today. When I was applying, you know, a long time ago, there were only a handful, probably a half dozen larger programs. Um, there was one at UC Berkeley, University of Michigan, Duke University, Yale, uh, maybe a couple others. Uh, I do know now that there are a ton of sustainability-focused MBA programs. And it, within those, you know, some people concentrate in finance, some people concentrate in strategy, um, but and some in corporate management and so forth. So there, there's over the last 15 years, say, there's been a real kind of explosion of, of those of the number of programs. And yeah, it just it just speaks to the fact that I think business executives realize that environmental issues are core, regardless of whether you consider yourself a tree hugger. I don't know. I feel like slightly optimistic in thinking more about this and thinking more that uh, or or in thinking that these programs are becoming more prevalent. That seems like a really good development and a maybe movement away from like, as you said, like we kind of have tree hugging on the one end and then like real business on the other. And it's those two worlds never, you know, meet. Um, and uh, it would sure be nice if if this was becoming more common where, yeah, I'm uh, I'm into business or I'm starting a business. And of course, we're going to take in the impact and costs, real environmental costs of what it is we're doing and producing. That would be uh, that'd be nice to think that we're trending that way. I, I think it's fair to call it a trend for sure. Yeah, um, there was a fairly high profile group of companies that are would not you would not consider them your tree hugging you know co companies, but yep. they got together this past summer and basically put together a definition of kind of what does what does what is a business what's a corporation and in that definition there was a lot of emphasis on the function and the role of that company in serving sort of the needs of humanity as opposed to just its own shareholders or bottom line. So, yeah, I mean, I think that the trend is real um, and there, there are different dimensions to this. And, you know, with but within the environmental realm, I think, you know, the education of business leaders through through business programs um, is about about business and the environment is becoming really real and, and really pervasive. And then, as I say, the kind of the ideology 
at least on paper, of business executives is shifting more toward the role of businesses in society. And let's just hope that all continues. So you went to grad school um, in 2004. And then since then, you have been working sort of exactly along these lines in different capacities. Yeah, and I suppose it, de it depends on what, what these lines are, but, um, but I've been working at the intersection of business and the environment since that time. And, and so I've, I've had a few different um, fields that I've worked in. I've worked um, in the transformation of the electric power sector as one, one big block. Um, and that is to say, how are we kind of cleaning up the U.S. Um, electric power sector, which contributes to a significant share of the of the emissions in the country? And, and really, without clean electricity, we can't um, we can't solve the climate problem. We need to have need to have um, renewables and and low and zero carbon electricity. Um, is part of one of the one of the most important ingredients. So I spent a lot of time in that realm. Um, spent time on um, the environmental financing side of things, thinking about how institutional investors can get um, more uh, exposure to investments in renewable energy and, and carbon focused assets. Um, so there's one big block of time that I spent there. Um, and then thirdly, I would say I spent a bunch of time working on uh, what I'll call an emerging environmental markets. So um, markets that are trying to uh, put a price on and allow companies and individuals to trade um, to trade things and, and essentially, you know, to, to buy and sell things that have environmental value. Um, and so one example there would be, um, renewable natural gas, which is, which is something that has been technologically understood for a while, but it hasn't really been kind of built into or, or, you know, integrated into, um, broader natural gas, um, Markets and so the uh, so the question on the minds of folks who can produce natural renewable natural gas is how do you price it how do you how do you sell it how do you market it those kinds of things so that's it's one one small example but there's um, but there's a whole lot of attention now that you know now that environmental um, issues are being better understood there's a whole lot more attention to think about how do we get businesses to um, to you know integrate environmentally positive things into their business practices. So what is it about this particular opportunity that you thought, yeah, I might not be working on energy sectors right now, but I think this is a significant enough thing that I'd like to go to work on this particular problem. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, uh, I, um, I would say the I've always liked working for early stage organizations. It's it's just fun thinking about you know how a young company kind of can develop a strategy and grow um, and and to sort of understand the the range of different things that that go into making a company successful. Um, I guess I, I sort of put this out toward toward the end state. If if climate neutral succeeds, we could drive literally billions of dollars of investment into climate change solutions. And, and I can't honestly think about a more direct way of doing that than, than, than by 
um, you know, by really doing what we're trying to do with climate neutral, we're fundamentally just trying to get more people to pay more money to reduce climate change. And while I've worked inside or worked alongside or consulted to some of the largest corporations in the world, um, the change that you can make happen in a short period of time within those companies is really limited just because they tend to move slowly. And even the largest companies that are making large commitments, you know, they're kind of thinking about like 2050 or 2070 timeframe. Um, so the, the exciting thing about what we're doing now is, yeah, if, if we do succeed, I think in the short term or the short to medium term, we could drive literally billions of dollars of, of money, which is exactly what's needed to deal with the climate challenge. Um, so it's a small organization with uh, tr potentially potential for extremely large impact. So what could be better than that? Okay, let's get more specific then about what climate neutral does and doesn't do yeah so our platform is designed to be fairly simple and what we're doing is we are recruiting companies uh, to get certified by our process that they have measured their carbon footprint that they have identified meaningful steps to reduce their carbon footprint and that they have offset uh, the entirety of their emissions for the calendar year that they're being certified for. And so our goal as an organization is to help companies understand that simple process to connect them with a, um, a, a way of measuring their, their footprint easily and to help them get confident that when they buy carbon credits or carbon offsets, that the carbon offsets that they're buying are high quality and that they're actually reducing the emissions that they are promising to reduce. Um, and then at the end of it, to create, we're trying to create a coalition of companies that have the label that we make, certified climate neutral label um, uh, on, their, on their products, on their website, on their email signature, uh, wherever they want to want to put it, and so around that label, we're trying to build a kind of a, a community of folks, both on the company side that have it, and then on the on the consumer end of things, we want consumers to really look for that label and be able to choose products that have it on there. So um, what we're not doing is getting in and extensively consulting with companies. Uh, we don't have that capacity right now. Um, we are not developing carbon offset projects ourselves directly. We're working with third parties who do that. Uh, we're not reinventing the wheel on um, defining what a um, what a quality carbon credit looks like. We're simply curating um, the the quality standards that are out there. This label. Um... I think makes a lot of sense, right? I think and we'll we'll talk a bit about like the certifying process. We'll get to that. But I think the idea of the label is really clear and really good, right? I mean, this is where we would be ideally applying a very positive social pressure, right? So that if um, I'm a consumer and I'm looking for a new mountain bike and I'm considering bikes from maybe three or four different companies, if I see that one of these companies has this climate neutral certification, maybe that moves the needle for me. 
And I think I'll go that direction. I appreciate, you know, that this company is trying to take very real and palpable and tangible steps, um, you know, in terms of how they're producing things and, and uh, thinking about their own footprint. You nailed it. Yep. Um, we're, we're trying to basically give companies a way of saying that they're taking climate change seriously and that they're doing something meaningful about it. I mean, the, the world that we live in is, again, one where there's, there's this incredible disconnect between the urgency and the seriousness of the climate problem and the number of companies who are actually doing something meaningful about it. And all we're saying is if you're, if you're doing anything or saying anything about sustainability, the minimum standard for, for companies that are talking about sustainability should be that they are taking action to address their carbon footprint because it's really not that expensive and it's really not that difficult to do. And it's inexcusable, frankly, that that more businesses are not doing it. And so as a consumer, I'm out shopping for mountain bikes and, you know, fast forward a couple of years, maybe we've gotten two or three companies on board and we, um, we haven't gotten, you know, two or three other companies that appear alongside um, on the, you know, within the bike store. And so somebody's will have the ability to say, okay, you know, which companies are actually, um, doing something about, about climate, which companies are actually paying for their carbon emissions and, um, and, you know, and, and taking, taking those emissions seriously. Are there any other organizations or certifications labels, as it were, that, you guys are looking at in, I don't know, maybe just other sectors, but where they are not doing the same thing as climate neutral, but it's the same idea, right? Here's this label. Uh, I mean, I can think of one or two, but I'm curious what, what ones you might mention, you know, that are kind of an example of this, having a label that helps direct consumers um, and steers us to certain companies or certain products and, and that are also kind of applying this positive social pressure. Totally. I mean, we are, we're definitely looking at what's out there. Um, we're, we're not trying to duplicate anything that's out there. And in the U S there basically is no label that does what we're trying to do. But if you look at the average package for anything, really, it's going to have, um, all kinds of symbols and labels and logos and, and all sorts of stuff that kind of suggests that the company or the brand that made that product is doing certain things in the course of um, in the course of developing the product and getting it to their customers. So I'm looking at a I don't know why I have it, but a spray bottle of bug spray happened to be on my desk and it says certified gluten free. So it's good to know that my bug spray is gluten-free. So when I spray it in my mouth uh, to prevent mosquitoes from biting me on the tongue, uh, I'm not ingesting any gluten. Now, kind of an absurd example, but yay, it's gluten-free bug spray. Um, but, uh, but more to the point, like... The, the there's there's a kind of a ubiquitousness to USDA organic right on on food um, that people understand we want we would love to have that type of um, wide recognizability uh, there's within the environmental space there's one percent for the planet there's uh, B Corp certification which is becoming increasingly recognizable um, so. 
you know, FSC to some extent, Forest Stewardship Council um, will be used on on paper products and, and wood. Um, the Marine Stewardship Council does similar things for seafood. So there's a whole lot of symbols and, and labels out there, and they each serve a purpose. And you know, they're a way of essentially summarizing a whole lot of complex factors into one simple. Um, image so that any consumer can just basically say, does the product have the, have the symbol or does it not have the symbol? And if it doesn't have the symbol, then I know that that, that company is not doing um, whatever, you know, whatever it takes to get the, to get the label. And that's our goal. So yeah, you just named a couple of the kind of labels uh, that I had in mind. I want to ask you though, if, if it's fair to maybe say that we're seeing uh, an increase of these different certifications and labels. I do think it's fair to at least worry about the problem of greenwashing. And I got to think that that's one of the real, um, well, concerns of climate neutral. How do you come out with a new certification or standard that doesn't just devolve into you know, some feel-good story and companies, you know, getting to show off, look, we care about the environment, but they aren't really doing much effectively to have an impact. Yeah, it's a really important point. Um, I, I will say, to some extent, there's there's no high court of greenwashing that, you know, establishes ultimately what greenwashing is and is not. Um, and so... Um, without that, there's certainly people out there who will look at any, even the most stringent labels and say that that label um, belies the underlying purpose. Um, but I think what, you know, what we're looking at right now is this, we're comparing the outcome, the required outcome um, that we have uh, with the status quo. And, and with the status quo, we see a lot of companies getting a lot of points for sustainability. And we see a lot of companies saying a lot about carbon neutrality. Um, and in both cases, those companies don't necessarily have to do anything meaningful to, to, to make those claims. And I'll give, I'll give you an example. This past Earth Day, we saw literally dozens of companies talk about how they're making pledges to be carbon neutral. But Carbon neutrality today can mean anything. It can mean that you took your corporate headquarters and you decided to buy some um, certificates to show that you're supporting wind energy for that corporate headquarters. And that can be done for literally tiny, tiny fractions of, of, of a dollar um, for, you know, per, per month um, for, 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 for companies. And so the the ability to kind of to do very little and still claim carbon neutrality is one of the issues facing uh, say, I would say the, the climate movement because companies are getting points for for doing not much how are we improving upon that we're requiring that companies include in their footprint all the emissions that are generated not just in that corporate headquarters building but in all the direct and indirect sources of emissions um, across their operations and that's the technical term is called scope one scope two and scope three and I won't get into those here but uh, but the point is it's essentially like comparing uh, it's like saying you know your footprint is equal to one toe versus your entire foot 
and and today companies can get credit for carbon neutrality on on the basis of just one toe uh, and not their entire foot uh, in their footprint. So um, so that's one one case. I think you know the other question is is how much action is being taken and companies talk a lot about sustainability um, because they're thinking about it but aren't necessarily taking. Um, taking action on it. And so at the end of the day, someone who goes through our certification process, they have to spend money on carbon. And that fundamental fact is something that won't change uh, regardless of how much time passes. And so the fact that a company is spending money to reduce carbon emissions and is spending money to offset their carbon emissions um, is, is a fundamental requirement. And it's something that we'll be e able to easily track and report on. So any consumer who wants to understand what actions the company has taken will be able to go onto our website and they'll be able to see, okay, you know, such and such a company evaluated their footprint at 20,000 tons. And I see that they spent a certain amount of money to offset those tons. And I see that they're doing certain things to reduce their emissions in the future. Um, so with those mechanisms in place, uh, we feel that the, um, the, the statement that a company makes when it's saying carbon neutral uh, will ultimately be a whole lot more powerful and a lot more meaningful than what companies do today. Yeah. And I, I think that's an interesting thing that, I mean, if you go, if someone goes to the climateneutral.org website, I mean, the, the thing you read in very big font right, is climate neutral is the new minimum standard for corporate responsibility. And so I think, I, I thought that was really interesting, the word minimum. And I was thinking a lot about that. Like, is that, is that what you want on the first page, you know, of, uh, of this new certification, like that word minimum? And the more I thought about it, it was like, well, yeah, but we mean a true minimum, right? Not like a BS minimum. And it sounds to me like that's very much what you're talking about. Like, first step, let's get all companies thinking about and not just thinking about, but actually acting on this and taking steps. And then I think the other thought that occurred to me is that this is the new minimum standard. Well, that standard can be raised over time, right, when that seems appropriate to do so. So I think you've that all seems consistent with everything you've kind of just said here and about greenwashing and why that should not be the first thing that we're worried about. The first thing is like, let's just get companies and producers uh, committed to taking true actionable steps. Yeah, I think I think you nailed it right there. I mean, um, the the idea behind calling this a minimum standard is that if, you know, our, our notion is that if anybody is going to be talking about sustainability, then this should be just expected. That to, to be at the table, they should be expected to be doing to doing doing what we're asking them to do. Now, we hope companies will go far uh, above and beyond the um, the minimum standard. But um, you know, it, it's not fair and it's not right for companies to be able to. Um, you know, to, to emit carbon emissions without paying for them in, in a world uh, that is facing in, in increased risk and, and harm from, from climate change. Um, and the other point there is that because it's a minimum standard, the, the, the hurdle that you have to get over it in order to achieve it is 
very, very low. And we want companies to understand that too. That whereas you know, climate sort of feels like this trillion dollar problem, the reality is that it can be addressed in very meaningful and achievable bite-sized chunks if you think about the responsibility of individual companies. And so the hurdle is low um, to achieve that minimum standard. And as you point out, over time, the standard can and should increase as the world gets cleaner and as we make more progress on, you know, on climate. And, uh, and that's the way that we'll eventually chart a course to, to achieving the emissions trajectory that we need to achieve. Let's talk about the current cost and price you know, two companies that are signing up to this pledge, specifically with like climate neutral and and the steps and certifications you're talking about, um, you say it's a low hurdle. Explain. So one of the basic misperceptions that we're trying to reverse is that carbon footprints are extremely costly to measure. And that if a company wants to measure its footprint, it has to go out and hire a consultant and spend months and months pulling data together. And when you look at data from greenhouse gas emissions across economies around the world, what you find is there are actually really reasonable averages that you can use to estimate a company's carbon footprint as a starting starting point. And... Every company out there in the world should have a starting point assumption for what their carbon footprint is, but today they don't. So we're working to address that by making it really achievable for any company to understand directionally what their carbon footprint looks like. And when I say carbon footprint, again, remember, I, I mean the entire footprint and not just just one toe. Um, so that's one, one aspect of it. Another really critical thing to recognize is that with technologies that are available today and in today's market, you can offset a ton of carbon for three to five dollars per ton. And at the brand level, we use a rule of thumb that basically a typical company generates about 500 tons of carbon for every million dollars of revenue. So a company that generates a million dollars of revenue has to offset 500 tons of carbon at five bucks a ton. It's 2,500 bucks, which is 0.25% of the revenues. So it's a really small fraction of revenues uh, to do that. Now, we can't decarbonize the entire global economy using that assumption, but there's a hell of a lot that we can do today to get companies going at that price. And if you look at you know, some projections of, of the market, it's going to be a long time before we start to see that number, you know, three to five dollars a ton inch up meaningfully above above that number. So so there's a lot that isn't being done today that could be done very, very cheaply. And we want and we expect companies to understand that and to embrace it and to act on it. Okay. So let's say 
you know, we've got a company and let's say we'll just keep the numbers simple, like you've said. We've got a million dollars in revenue and we're producing 500 tons of emissions uh, as we get to that million dollars in revenue. And this company wants to offset those 500 tons. What's the mechanism? Where are they going? Um, if, if they have contacted you at Climate Neutral and they said, we're on board, are you directing them to specific programs? Yeah, so we give companies the choice. Uh, they can go and find carbon credits through a broker that they may already have an existing relationship with, or they can come to us and say, hey, we've got 500 tons of emissions that we need to offset, and we want you to take care of it for us. And so we will line up carbon credits from a network of credible brokers uh, that meet our standards for project quality. And we'll basically give them access into a portfolio of projects that are sourced from around the world. Um, and I want to just kind of you know, take a minute to, to make that a little bit more specific because the idea of carbon offsetting, you know, someone once described it to me as, you know, putting money in an envelope and sending it off to the man and not really understanding what the man does with it. <laughs> and so, yeah, carbon offsetting, it is, is a frustratingly, um, you know, mysterious thing that doesn't actually need to be that mysterious because all it is, all a carbon offset is, is a payment for somebody to reduce or sequester a ton of carbon somewhere in the world. It pays for behavior change. It pays for, in other words, someone to install a wind turbine where they might not have installed a wind turbine otherwise. Uh, it pays for somebody to cap a landfill where they might not have otherwise capped the landfill to, ca to capture greenhouse gases that are coming off the landfill. It pays for somebody to protect an acre of forest um, where they might not have otherwise protected an acre of forest. So there are literally dozens of ways to create carbon offsets. But in every case, it's the same general principle, which is the money that you put into the carbon is being used to finance the project. And it gets, gets back to the uh, beginning of this conversation where we were talking about environmental finance. This is one, yeah. one flavor of environmental finance. You're basically taking, taking money and you're putting it into a project that has environmental benefits. So, so climate neutral is um, role in the offsetting piece right now is to be a clearinghouse for companies that need to offset to take out some of the risk for them by curating the projects that are out there and by setting a, a level of, of quality across all the companies who are becoming certified and revisiting that standard every year so that we can make sure that companies are offsetting through quality projects um, and then taking some of the guesswork out for companies uh, when they go out to source those projects uh, just by basically having them buy into, into a pool. Uh, some larger companies uh, already have relationships with brokers and we're perfectly happy for them to, to buy carbon credits through their broker network. So I want to just drill down a little bit on two notions. One I think you said you called them credible carbon brokers. And then you've also talked in this conversation about high quality carbon offsets. So can you circle back on these notions? Because I guess I, I, I do think a lot of people listening might be like, yeah, this still sounds, even though I've heard what you've said, this still sounds a bit like putting money in an envelope and sending it off to the man. Like you have been involved in these worlds for coming up on at least a couple decades 
And for those who, like me, have not been, you know, deeply tied to these worlds, how good should we feel about high quality offsets? I've tracked you where you've said, look, do you understand the concept of supplying money that would allow a wind turbine to be built? Like, yes, that's very clear. But there still seems maybe like there's a murkiness around like, cool, I'm going to keep polluting over here, but I'm going to give you guys this money to go fund other projects. Just from a, you know, as you are, I think, clearly interested in having actual palpable programs and changes, making, you know, palpable changes are we really okay on this principle? I mean, this if this isn't the best of all possible worlds, like as you've really surveyed the landscape and the like, you still think this is very much a direction that we should be moving in at the moment, right? I guess I hear two questions in your question, right? And so, and let me just take them one at a time. So, so one question is, are offsets bullshit? And the other question is, is offsetting bullshit? <laughs> Um, our offsets bullshit. We'll take that as, as, as question number one. And the, the, the real question there is, is the money that I'm spending on that offset, is it actually doing anything? And the answer that I would have had maybe 15 years ago, I guess in hindsight would have been, mm, yeah, well, most of the time, yes, but in a lot of, in a lot of cases, probably not. And the answer that I have today is, um, in almost all of the cases, yes. And there are still, you know, some projects out there that don't deliver or have adverse, uh, consequences that are unintended. But for the most part, the quality in the market is, is very, very high. And the network of people who are looking after projects to make sure that offsets are not bullshit is very, very strong. And, um, incredibly rigorous. And there are technologies that are being invented uh, every day that are meant to e improve even upon what, what's out there today. So there are people who are looking at ways of using using blockchain to, um, to track carbon reductions. There are people who are looking at uh, using satellite imagery to, to track carbon reductions. So so, so the point is the infrastructure around making sure that those projects are not bullshit is is very strong and it's stronger than ever. And um, companies, some of the largest companies in the world, trust those um, mechanisms well enough to put literally millions or tens of millions, in some cases hundreds of millions of dollars into them. Um, the second question is is offsetting bullshit, and 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 what I mean by that is. Okay, so maybe you convinced me that the projects themselves are real, but I still don't think that people should take this approach where they're paying someone else to reduce emissions while they themselves are continuing to to emit. And you know, the analogy that I've heard recently is so it's basically like paying your neighbor to recycle their garbage while you just take and, and dump your garbage can in the middle of the street. And the the reality is that many companies don't have the bandwidth, the wherewithal, or the money to reduce their emissions quickly and immediately. 
at the scale that they could have an impact if they use carbon offsets. There's absolutely no way that we will decarbonize the entire global economy through offsetting, but there's no way that we're going to achieve the emission reductions that we need to without offsetting. And so there's a reason that our certification has a step which is reduce emissions because companies have to disclose things that they're going to do to reduce emissions. But I guarantee you that far more, um, far more reduction of global emissions will happen if companies are also allowed to, and in this case, required to offset in the meantime. Because if a company says, I'm going to reduce my emissions before I offset, which is which is oftentimes what you hear, um, that has temp typically has no timetable associated with it and often no metrics associated with it. So what does that mean? That by 2050, you're going to reduce your emissions by 15%, and then starting in 2050, you're going to think about other, other ways to, to to have a to have an impact because you haven't been able to figure out you know how to get past that 15% reductions um, so so the answer is it's yes and it's reductions and it's offsetting and the the nice thing about the offsetting mechanism is there are real and palpable and 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 um, meaningful emission reductions that can happen today um, somewhere in the world uh, and the climate doesn't care whether that reduction is happening in Southeast Asia or in Florida, um, but somewhere in the world, those projects can happen. And you know, there's a tremendous amount of low-hanging fruit to reduce carbon emissions. And by offsetting, you're paying to to make those happen, and you're paying for those immediately while you're working on longer-term solutions. In terms of funding of current projects today, right? Money's coming in um, that is going to be earmarked um, you know, to new projects. Do you personally have um, kind of favorite projects? I.e., are you highest right now on say, you know, let's get more solar um, being put in and build into new construction homes, or you mentioned wind earlier. Do you have, you personally have certain tech elements or, or capping landfills where you're like, man, for right now, where we are technologically in terms of impact, these are the things that seem to be having the biggest impact today. From a carbon perspective, any project that is uh, a verified carbon offset project is reducing a ton of emissions. So, I think the if 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 you, if you look sort of more narrowly at whether you're making progress against climate change, I have zero favorites, and I would I would by that logic basically pick the thing that's cheapest for the purposes of allocating the money that we collect from companies to offset emissions. Uh, I'm a fan of a more of a portfolio type approach because there are two goals, right? One is the emission reduction, and then two is the longer term market transformation. And the market transformation will happen if we happen better if we invest in an assortment of project types that reflect sort of the best of what's out there. And so think of it like your own you know, personal investment portfolio where um, if if you're if you've got some sort of combination of you know current income and long term uh, uh, 
long-term growth of your portfolio, you're going to invest in a mix of stocks and bonds and maybe some more um, venture capital or more speculative type type things that have higher higher return. Um, that's, I think, the same general concept that can be applied to an offset portfolio where you have some core cheap offsets that may come from a landfill gas or renewable energy project. And then that those may be paired with some projects that also provide some benefits to um, ecosystems, like, for example, a forestry project. And then it, you may want to toss in a few projects that are extremely high cost, but extremely high potential upside. So people are talking a lot about direct air capture, you know, basically air conditioning units that can suck carbon dioxide directly out of the air. They're really, really expensive to run today. But if we made significant technical breakthroughs there, that could be a game changer. So I think as from an investment portfolio perspective, you know, putting some funding toward those as well um, might be or, or makes makes a lot of sense. So it's sort of a two-part answer. I mean, I think if you're looking for just a ton of carbon immediately, then there are a lot of great cheap projects. Um, but in terms of allocating, you know, a broader amount of, of money, then uh, you know, I'm a fan of, of a portfolio approach. So coming back specifically to climate neutral, how do you see, say, the next three to four months? Where are you guys at right now and where are you heading in kind of this near term? Yeah, so we came into this year or essentially the launch in, in March with, with the goal of having 36 brands committed to becoming certified. And we're at 55 right now, and we think we'll be probably closer to 75 by the end of the year. So over the next three months, we've got to figure out how to, as painlessly as and seamlessly as possible, uh, and, and, and maybe have some fun along the way, get those 75 or so brands certified. Um, and that certification period will take place basically starting January 1st of next year. So we're going to continue to pound the pavement, try to get more brands on board, um, also get the word out there among consumers and uh, th through conversations like this one. And, um, and, and that will all help us scale the organization by adding both consumer awareness and by adding brands to the coalition. Um, so starting January 1st, we'll then get into the certification period where we help those 75 brands estimate their carbon footprint, as we talked about earlier, and then define at least two measures to reduce their carbon footprint um, going forward, and then to complete the purchase of offsets. And then finally, we will authorize them to use the climate neutral certified label on their packages. So we'll work with brands and sort of hand, hold their hands um, through that period. And then by um, our goal is by uh, April 21st, which is the day before the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, that we'll have this large group of companies who will be the first ones to, um, to be taking this message out there. And meanwhile, we will continue to to pound the pavement for for even more commitments, um, so that's uh, that's what the next three four months look like. So it's going to be extremely busy, and um, we're really excited about um, you know getting this first group of companies all certified. I'm curious. This has been a pretty serious conversation, and you mentioned uh, we'll have some fun along the way. What's the fun part? Well, uh, there's a lot of hope embedded in this, right? Um, and yeah, I mean, this this topic does get pretty technical pretty quickly, which is, I think, one of the reasons why people have shied away from it. Even, you know, cl climate is all doom and gloom and, um, 
it doesn't have to be, it can be, it can be hope and it can be, it can be positive because, um, you are never going to solve it just by being, by being depressed about it. Um, but the fun I think is, is, um, is getting the conversation going among companies and consumers. We've, we've activated, you know, a whole bunch of social media around this topic and, what I have fun doing is watching the Instagram posts and the, and the Twitter feeds and, you know, kind of getting the conversation going from consumers up to companies saying, you know, Hey, Hey company, um, why don't you do this? Why don't, why don't you become climate neutral certified? So, you know, any one of your listeners who has a favorite mountain biking brand, um, you know, Hey, Santa Cruz, be, be climate neutral. Um, and you know, there's a little bit of a little bit of you know poking the bear on that. I think which is which is fun and really trying to get people to at least have a conversation about it. Um, you know, conver- conversing about this topic is is always enjoyable, and having healthy debates about these uh, you know these different ways we're approaching it um, is always really fun. But yeah, I mean, we'd love to have a specialized and a Santa Cruz and a Cannondale and whoever else on board. Um, so so we're gonna have fun as we as we push the message forward and out to more and more audiences. Can you name a few of the brands that have already signed on? Um, maybe give an example of one or two that is just like, hell yeah, let's do this. We're in, maybe we don't know that much about this, but we're, we're ready to learn and, and, and be active here. Yeah, we've got a list that's um, growing every day. It's uh, on our website, and people will recognize a bunch of these, and they won't recognize some of them. Uh, and the, the bunch that they'll recognize are companies like Clean Canteen and Allbirds, um, Rumple, a lot of outdoor brands. So, again, your listeners will probably um, be familiar with a bunch of them. And then there are ones that are earlier stage companies, um, that are either just getting going on a crowdfunding campaign, or they may be launched last year and they're just getting out into the market. Um, so there's a handful like that. Um, we are, I would say we're getting, we're getting feedback from most everybody on this list, uh, with a couple exceptions that the climate has been a sort of a hairy problem for them to get their head around. And while they feel like they want to do something, they just have not had any idea where to start. And honestly, that's music to our ears because that's the whole reason we exist. And and our mission is to, again, kind of create this minimum standard, but to have the lowest possible on-ramp, the easiest possible on-ramp to to get them on board and doing something meaningful. So the amount of enthusiasm that these entrepreneurs and um, business owners are bringing into the conversation is amazingly fun. And it just basically speaks to their their commitment to having sustainability and taking climate seriously um, and having that all be part of their brand identity. To, to close, you know, keeping this brass tax, what then are you calling upon individuals and individual companies to go do, say, right now? Yeah, so right now we've got a Kickstarter campaign that's live and will be live running through December 12th. So I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask everybody to go out and pledge a buck, pledge five bucks, um, sign up, become part of our 
uh, our supporters. And essentially the purpose of the Kickstarter campaign is to help us launch the label out into the world. And that, of course, takes money. Uh, we've got a small team, but we need to grow that team to support companies in the way that we want to and also to continue to get the word out. So um, climateneutral.org slash KS is the, is the URL that people can go to. Um, that would be huge. We've also got on our website um, a tweet generator we can um, where, where we... Uh, I think it's still up on the website um, where we allow companies to, or sorry, individuals to tweet at companies to encourage them to join. And and so from our perspective, the more companies we can get coming to us and saying, hey, we're really interested in doing this, um, that that's a measure of success. So, so for, yeah, for companies, I think, you know, taking a look at what we're up to, asking themselves whether they want to commit to getting on this journey. And uh, hopefully, they hopefully uh, the answer to that is yes. And then joining this group of businesses out there who are pushing the envelope and really, um, you know, really taking meaningful steps on climate. So um, every every individual is also probably you know an employee at a company because uh, they all probably have jobs. And so this this doesn't have to be just an individual um, conversation, right? This is you know, anybody. Um, can can find ways to to support the growth of the movement, um, whether that's through money or through bringing a company on board. Well, Austin, um, I really appreciate this conversation, and I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, I appreciate the mission. Um, uh, and this is, I mean, you're already growing, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where you are able to take this. Best wishes. Uh, we will, you know, we will throw in and be supporting this Kickstarter movement here at Blister. You've given us a whole lot, not just to think about, but a whole lot to go look to take concrete actions toward. And uh, that seems like a big deal. So uh, good job there. Well, that's that's the goal. You know, every every business has a footprint and it may not be huge, but, but it's something. And uh, I think Step one, understand what that footprint is. Step two, understand what you can do about it. So really have enjoyed the conversation. Uh, thanks for having me on and um, hope I've inspired at least one or two of your listeners to, uh, to go ahead and take some action. Great. Well, thank you, Austin. Uh, we'll hopefully talk to you again real soon. Sounds great. Thanks again. Okay. okay. You take care. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to Austin for the conversation. And again, you can learn more about Climate Neutral at climateneutral.org. And you can check out their Kickstarter campaign at climateneutral.org KS. I'd also like to thank Justin Bob for producing this episode. And I'd also like to say, welcome back, J-Bob. It is great to have you back. Now, until next time, please take good care out there, everybody, and we will talk to you again next week.